0: Uh, If you look at the whole superhero genre, there have been 115 films made in the superhero genre since the late 70s when that genre began to take off. 115 films. Now, I'm looking at the list, and I just got to tell you, that does include Howard the Duck, (laughs) which... I don't really know how he ended up on there. It kind of looked funny next to the Toxic Avenger, you know, so let's take him off. And there's 114 superhero films uh, made since the late 70s. Um, I think there's something here that we can all agree on. We all love heroes in films and in stories, don't we? I mean, we, we love a good story with a hero, Whether we're willing to admit it or not, we're constantly hunting for heroes, for people to look up to, people to admire, people to strive to be. And unfortunately, as I'm guessing you have felt the sting of this like me, we're also often disappointed. As a former football player whose position was tight end, I used to have great admiration for Aaron Hernandez not so much today. Or maybe sports isn't your thing, and maybe you like butter, and you found yourself wondering in the midst of Paula Deen's reality what to think about that. Some of you will get that later. (laughs) Heroes disappoint us, don't they? And as they do, so often we find ourselves donning the cape and attempting to be a hero ourselves. And although we might do some good, we, deep down we hope that no one asks us to really fly. Because we know that this cape only makes us look like a hero. And deep down we're more like Aaron Hernandez and Paula Deen than we'd like to admit. I think we like hero stories for one basic reason. And that is that we all need a hero. We all need to be rescued. This longing is deep within our DNA. We are broken creatures bound for death, craving much, much more. We're waiting for a hero. See, these stories about heroes, movies, films, books about heroes, they are telling a story that is good and true. A story that is a reflection of the story we find ourselves living in. They're stories that give us just a glimpse of the hero to come. The hero that we all long for. So here's a question for you to ponder just for a moment. You've got a pen, you want to write something down. This is a good moment to do. I'd love for you to think through what are some qualities or characteristics that you look for in a hero? What would you want your hero or rescuer to look like. Got a few things in your mind? I came across a great, great quote this week from C.S. Lewis. Actually, it was a, tw- a tweet from C.S. Lewis. I mean, who knew? You know, he's, he's tweeting. Uh, C.S. Lewis knows hashtag. So here it is. Here's the C.S. Lewis quote. That's not it. It's right here. It says, whether we like it or not, God intends to give us what we need what Not what we now think we want. God intends to give us what we need, not what we now think we want. And I believe as we open the scripture this morning and, and look in the book of Isaiah, this is exactly what we'll find that the hero we want is not the hero we need. So if you want to follow along with me this morning, we're going to look in Isaiah 9. Morgan read for us. We're going to go in 9, 11, and 53. As you're turning there to nine, let me remind us just a bit of where we are and find ourselves this morning. If you're new with us, we are taking 2013 to look through the story of the Bible. We're doing it a couple of ways. Many of us have made a commitment to daily Bible reading, and we're reading through different sections of the scriptures. Uh, In addition, on Sunday mornings, we're taking the 52 Sundays, and we are uh, focusing on a different section throughout each Sunday, marching through this grand story of the Bible. Today, we find ourselves in the book of Isaiah. Last week, you might remember, we opened and began a new series, a little small series within this big plan, and it was on the prophets. The prophets are those who came to speak on behalf of God of things to come, what would be happening in the future. These words that they spoke and their writings are what we refer to as prophecy. Now, it's easy for us to get confused a bit about these predictions of things to come. We sort of start to th- think that they are, we read them like they're fortune cookies from our favorite Chinese restaurant. Which, by the way, those cookies have just kind of turned into, they're not even fortunes anymore, are they? They're, just, they're just like moral statements. But anyway, th- this is not what they are. This, when we look at prophecy, this is not what we're talking about. Prophecy is rarely direct and to the point. It's often hard to pinpoint Often hard to nail down the exact moment it often is packaged in great mystery. Willem van Gemeren, a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, wrote about this reality, and I think it's in, and spoke some really great words making a distinction between promises and predictions. And he wrote this: He said, "The promises of God cannot be reduced to predictions." A prediction limits the word to a particular fulfillment, whereas a promise unfolds progressively over time. A promise is like a rolling snowball in its momentum and significance. In the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before the first Christmas morning, there are four places where we find promises or glimpses Of the Messiah to come. And I believe that throughout Isaiah, God wants to make this truth very clear that the hero we want is not the hero we need. So let's read again, beginning in uh, verse 2 of chapter 9, actually beginning in verse 6 of chapter 9. We're just going to read a portion again of what Morgan read for us With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, these words must have been incredibly comforting and hopeful to God's people. I mean, this is the kind of hero we want. You might remember back in January, we began in this series looking in the book of Genesis, and we looked in particular to a promise that God made to Abram. That from Abram, he would make them a great nation. He gave them this this promise of land and blessing and that he would make, through Abram, them great. You know that God's people place their hope in this promise. And yet through their brokenness, evidenced repeatedly by their disobedience. We come now to the book of Isaiah and we find God's people scattered in anything but great. And you know that God's people must be questioning if this promise will ever come true. Will it ever happen? Will there ever be a hero to rescue them? And so Isaiah comes and speaks these words to them, words of a child to be born. Now, I mentioned there were four references to the Messiah, and I've listed three chapters, there's actually the first reference to a child. comes in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's when Isaiah spoke these familiar words to King Ahaz to encourage him to trust in God. He said, "'Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel.'" And so when we come to Isaiah 9, This snowball is sort of growing in momentum. And this promise is coming more into focus. This was not just any child. The government would rest upon his shoulder. Now, this is the hero they wanted. A conquering king. There's this little phrase in Isaiah 9 that I'm guessing people clung to. You see it in verse 7. Isaiah says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This would most likely have been heard and read through the hopes of a strong and mighty leader who would come and lead with military conquest. You you get a little hint of that earlier in the passage in the verse 4 of of Isaiah 9, where we see a comparison between this coming hero and the day of Midian. The day of Midian was celebrated by God's people because Gideon, when he was way um, under, outnumbered, defeated the Midianites, and they celebrated this defeat as the day of Midian. And now Isaiah is comparing this hero to come. It's something similar to Gideon. He will be a conquering king. I mean, this is the hero we want, right? All-powerful. Mighty, strong, and conquering. This is why I don't want Howard the Duck on my list. (laughs) But if you stop and think about it for a moment, we don't just want powerful heroes, do we? For those of you that have seen Man of Steel, you know that um, there is another person in there who is strong and powerful, and mighty. His name is General Zod. And he's clearly the enemy. So what makes the two of them different? There has to be more. Turn a few pages over to chapter 11, where I think this snowball will begin to grow and gain momentum for us, and we'll get another glimpse of this hero we want. Look with me in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This stump of Jesse is referring to the Davidic line. It would come from King David, hopefulness for the people who are hearing this and reading this. You see, we don't just want a powerful hero, we also want a hero who can decide right from wrong. Or you might put it this way: we want a just judge. A person who is able to judge justly. So uh, picture this with me. Let me put your put yourself at the lake for a moment. Just imagine this moment. You're at the lake, you're swimming, you begin to get leg cramps. You're treading water, you're by yourself. You, you have, begin to have trouble keeping your head above the water, but just before you begin your flailing, before you, you really begin to go down, you notice that there's a friend of yours who happens to be an Olympic swimmer, who is sitting on the dock not far away from you. You know he's an Olympic swimmer. You begin to yell out to him that you need help. He doesn't come, and you drown. Now, that's a sad story, I know, and uh, you probably thought there'd be more to it, but that's actually all there is. Story's (laughs) over. It's actually a very short story, too. Like most of my high school essays, that was one of them right there. (laughs) But here's the point. We want a, a hero that is more than just powerful. We want them to do the right thing. We want them to see injustice and respond to it. We want them to see when someone needs help and take action. We want a person who's able to judge justly. Now, without giving anything away, for those of you that haven't seen Man of Steel, this question was at the heart of the movie Is power and might all that is needed? Or does morality and sound judgment matter? Isaiah unfolds for us a more complete picture of this child to come and tells us that he will be given divine wisdom and understanding. He will not just judge by what he sees or what he hears. He will protect the oppressed. He will kill the wicked. It's interesting here, if you you drop down the verses we didn't read, beginning in verse 6, the remaining verses of this chapter make it clear what this kingdom he will create will be like. Isaiah gives a picture of a future day where the wolf will lie down with the lamb. A Friday night, Sharon and I were having dinner in, on our back patio uh, with some friends, and right about dusk, and we, we back up to a creek. And literally from here to that uh, wall right there, just a coyote goes strolling by. We, we have our dog, our little dog with us. He's 10 pounds, white and fluffy we, he's named Hank. So, you know, I, we had to give him something masculine, you know, so he's Hank. And here's Hank. No, he's not sitting at, well, he is kind of sitting at the table with us, isn't he? That's kind of odd, isn't it? Uh, But he's there. Sharon immediately reached for him because what would Hank want to do? He would, oh, there's a dog in my yard. I'll go chase that dog of which Hank would be no more. And this is the picture we get, that there will one day be a a day where the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the coyote with Hank, (laughs) the calf and the lion. There's actually even a picture here that the little children will will play with poisonous snakes, and everybody will be okay. This is a world we're longing for, a world where injustice is so eradicated, so eliminated that even the wild animals no longer prey on the weak. Yes, we want a strong and mighty hero who will come in might, but we also want a just judge who will respond to the oppressed and help the oppressed and weak and kill the wicked. Right? That's what we want. That's the hero we want. Well, sort of. We all kind of squirm at this kill the wicked part, don't we? Because I think in, e- in, in each of our minds, there is a question that we can't shake. What if I'm on that list? You see, heroes come to protect the innocent, but I know I'm not innocent. Heroes come to kill the enemy, but oftentimes I feel a lot like the enemy. And if we stop and think about it, this hero who is strong and mighty and just in his judgment, that kind of hero, we may think we want that kind of hero, but that kind of hero is not good news to us. Because could we really measure up And be good enough. In his book, The Gulag Archipelago, Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote of this difficult truth in this way. And remember, he's been imprisoned, mistreated in a gulag. And he writes these words. He says, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them... But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Although we might not like to admit it, and prefer to believe that the line of good enough is just below where we are, we are all doomed. There is nothing on our own we can do to escape this judgment. And this brings us back to this painful truth that I think Isaiah screams at, at us that the hero we want is not the hero we need. We need a hero who somehow could destroy all evil without destroying us. Well, here's the good news Isaiah is not done. There's more to this promised hero. So turn with me to Isaiah 53. As you turn there, some of you are very familiar with this. You maybe even could sing it. But I want you not to miss, cause your familiarity to miss how shocking this would be to God's people as they heard these words spoken or read for the very first time. In verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. You see the similarities back to Isaiah 11 and the root of Jesse out of the stump. And like a root out of the ground. Okay, you can just see the people sitting on the edge of their seat. Okay, tell me more. This is, I'm, I'm getting the connection. Tell me more. Who, who's going to be this conquering king? And Isaiah continues. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I mean, can you imagine like the, the shock at this moment? Like what? N- no form of majesty? I mean, they had him pictured on the, on the throne, despised and rejected? Continues, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Okay, so I'm processing this as one of them, and God's going to send us a hero, a rescuer, and now he's smitten by God, he's afflicting him. This doesn't make sense. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. She's got to be shaking her head right now. Pierce for our transgressions? And this isn't the way a hero's story works, is it? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. And we've turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. These words are still shocking to me. It must have blown their category for what the Messiah would look like, this Messiah they were awaiting. And if you really stop and think about it, it's no wonder that they missed him that many missed him when he came. I mean, here's what they were expecting. They were expecting Wonderful Counselor. I think we've got this list up here on the screen. They were expecting, not this right here, they were expecting Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And instead, here's what they got. They got, go to the next slide, please. They got no form of majesty, despised and rejected, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom men hide their faces, smitten by God, pierced, crushed, oppressed, and afflicted. This is not the hero we want. But this is the hero we need. You see, he's not only a conquering king and a just judge, the hero we need is also a sacrificial substitute. Now, we don't, I think if you actually think through this, we don't really like the idea of a, our hero being a substitute. I mean, in sports, the substitute is a person who's not quite good enough to make the starting lineup. In, if you're a substitute teacher, you know you just, you don't really have much authority and you get no respect or little respect. And if you use a substitute ingredient in a recipe, you're just hoping no one is able to to figure it out. But this is the truth about God: that the ways are upside down. And this is exactly what's happening here. The true hero would come to be our substitute, to receive what we deserve. Jesus said it this way. He said, no greater love has a man than this than he laid on his life for his friends. You see, friends, we can just go ahead and be in the open about this. We don't measure up. And to be frank, we can't measure up to God's standard. And because God is full of justice and righteousness, someone somehow must pay For our inability to live up to God's standard, there must be a penalty or he wouldn't be just. And just when we are doomed and, and seemingly had no hope, the hero makes a way and he serves as our sacrificial substitute. Now, just to be clear, the Christian belief holds to the idea that in each of these Isaiah passages, It is pointing to Jesus, a prediction of the promise of Jesus. We get a little glimpse of this when the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph to encourage him to take Mary to be his wife. Although we know Joseph must have had many questions, he's probably also very familiar with the predictions in Isaiah. And the angel said to him, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It really is amazing if you stop and think through this that the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. 700 years. And yet it describes his life and death so perfectly. And I'm guessing in a crowd this size that there's some of you in here that are just skeptics. And you're kind of looking at this thinking, you know, Somebody snuck this in later on. I mean, it couldn't be this good. There's no way that this prediction could have happened before. And somehow or another, this got slipped into the Bible when all those guys with long beards were talking about it. Well, Sharon and I, a few years ago, actually 15 years ago, which is several fews, uh, we had a chance to go to Israel, and we visited the Shrine, the shrine of the Book Museum and we saw this scroll. This is the Isaiah scroll. The book of Isaiah, uh, it is one of the Dead Sea scrolls. It is the oldest known uh, recording. Um, Experts agree on the dating of this, that this was written and scribed and transcribed as a copy approximately 200 years before Jesus' birth. And in here, I remember still on uh, it was amazing to me that we were, we were seeing that they had one section pulled out where you, you could see the writing, and then it was transcribed in English, and it was Isaiah 53. Now, some choose to interpret Isaiah 53 by saying that it points to a coming king. Or some believe that this son that is to come is a nation that will bring rescue. But I just want to say that I do not think our hero could be a person or it could be a nation because neither could help to close the gap, God's standard, and our own ability to live up to it. Only God can do that work. He is the hero we need. Now, while we might believe that this hero came 2,000 years ago and by his arrival, we mark our calendars, sometimes it feels like we're still waiting to be rescued, doesn't it? I must admit, over the last few weeks as I've talked and prayed with two families in our congregation who have small children in the hospital hanging on for life, I've wondered where is the hero in this story? I'm guessing some of you are walking through dark moments right now in your life or have them in recent history, and you've asked that very same question. I've reflected on that, those questions and the hopefulness of Isaiah against the backdrop of this broken world in which we live. And while I cl- don't claim to have any of this mastered, uh, before we leave, I just want to make two suggestions for us as a church family. First, while we wait, we must look to the cross for hope. Here is a truth I think we must all wrestle with. Substitution is our only hope. You see, Christ's work of substitution, of being our substitute, was completed on the cross He paid the penalty of death that we deserved and made a way for the life that God intended. Do you believe this? Are you living as if you believe this? Or do you find yourself placing hope in other things? I I don't know about you, but... Generally, I think this is true. I've had conversations with you. I know it's true of me. I don't really like to be dependent on anything, on any person. I don't like even the concept of someone having to rescue me. I mean, we're hardworking Americans, people who believe that we can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, right? Often even, we're uncomfortable receiving gifts from people. And we go to a party and make sure that our gift is equal to, maybe slightly above the time that person gave us a gift. Maybe you shouldn't laugh that loud, Steve. <laughs> as a result, the cross can seem nonsensical at best and offensive at worst. And we find ourselves living as if we don't need a hero. And it's like we sort of say, I got this one, Jesus. Jesus. And then when he's not there in moments where we do need him, we're wondering, where are you? I think we just got to be honest and say, we don't have this. We can't save ourselves. Substitution is our only hope. Now, believing this requires something else that I'm not very good at, and it's surrender. I don't like to quit. I don't like to give up at anything. One, one of the greatest board games invented of all times is the game Monopoly. I will not give up or quit until you take my last dollar and piece of property from me. The game will go on forever. I, I actually think I've won some games because I just wasn't willing to quit. And if they walk away from the table, I win, right? That's the way it works. I hate to surrender. But I want you to hear this. We are prideful. We are strong-willed. We are unwilling to surrender. We are self-made Americans. And it cuts across the grain of what I believe is a difficult but life-changing truth, and that is the Christian life requires surrender. Now, maybe you're here this morning, for one reason or another, you've heard this Christian story, um, but you just don't buy it. Uh, You continue to find yourself in places where you keep hearing about Jesus, but you're not going to walk away and actually believe this. So let me just ask you a couple of questions this morning. If you find yourself here this morning, maybe skeptical and even questioning the whole Christian story, would you want to believe in a God who treated everyone the same? no matter what they did. A God who would treat Mother Teresa and Hitler equal. I think if you're honest, I mean, if we could just have honest dialogue about this, I think you, you would say, no, I, I don't think I want that. And so here's another question for you. Where do you fit in the between there? And will that be good enough? And I think for every person who really comes to grip an in intellectual honesty on that question um, will be haunted by it. Because deep down I think we know that we're all not good enough. And this is the good news that we don't have to be. There's a substitute. We can look to the cross for hope. I know this sort of feels like a churchy answer, and you're probably thinking, Kevin, couldn't you come up with something better than just look to the cross for hope? I mean, this is is like what you expect when you go to church. It's simple to comprehend, yes, but let me just ask, for those of you who are followers of Christ, why are we living differently? Why are we placing our hope in lesser heroes? Things that may give us hope in the short term but time and time again leave us unfulfilled and in need of rescue. What are you placing your hope in this morning? And whether you've never bought the Christian story or you've known it from your childhood, are you willing to say, "I surrender? Finally, as we wait, and I know I need to hear this today, we need to wait patiently. I'm not very patient. I don't like it when the person ahead of me in the express checkout line even is close to the limit of the number of items. But unfortunately, the hero comes when the the hero believes it's the right time to come. If we told the hero when to come and how to rescue us, he would no longer be the hero. He'd be working for us. And yet for many of us, this is how we want it to operate. And in, we sort of um, make ourselves believe we're waiting on a hero, and instead we've become our own. The hero comes when the hero believes it's the right time to come, and this is why the Christian story is grounded in the simple concept of hope. Hope is defined as a feeling of an expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. Yes, the substitution has happened. It is done. It is completed. Christ cried out on the cross. It is finished. However, the Christian story tells us that a hero will come again to make all things new. And until then, all we can do is wait patiently. And as we wait, we join with all creation in groaning at the brokenness of the world. We live in and at our own sinfulness, but we should not lose hope. A hero has been promised. He has come, and he will come again. Let's pray.